Frankie, come. Frankie, come. Come on. Good boy. Good boy. Sit. Good boy. Stay. How about you? Can you come sit and stay for the next 30 minutes? This is Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Good boy, Frankie. Hello there and Happy New Year. Welcome to the first edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs of 2019. Hope you had a great holiday season. I'm Devin from Canada. Let's begin with a song from GDUI's CD called 30 Years Harness in Hand. This song is by Sheila Styron and it's called Canine Angels.
There's a fairly recently established organization in Canada called the National Coalition of Guide and Service Dog Users in Canada. Here to talk with us about the accomplishments that have been achieved over the past couple of years is co-founder Heather Walkus from Karameas, British Columbia. Well, first of all, Heather, thanks so much for being with us on the program. It's my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. So when did this coalition be uh, become established, and uh, what is the, the purpose of it? In 2017, in the spring, uh, we've been heard, hearing many in the uh, guide dog and service dog community been hearing rumblings. There were some standards coming. But when they were first uh, discussed back in uh, 2013 and 2014, we understood uh, that Veterans Affairs wanted to set some training standards uh, for uh, PTSD dogs for veterans. They wanted to have a better handle on what um, does a PTSD dog do. And uh, they launched a number of of, uh, inquiries and did some research. They set up a research program. They also had a small group of people that were working on this that had some background. Um, And then in 2015, uh, just before the election, uh, there was a group formed uh, to look at this, to study this, and Veterans Affairs contracted with the Canadian General Standards Board. And as a result of doing that, they pulled together a larger committee to look at uh, training standards for uh, PTSD and psychiatric dogs for veterans. Um, That shifted without anyone's knowledge because that committee, which was not determined by anyone but the government, um, and basically it was whoever was around and could pay for their way to come to meetings because they didn't pay for that. It was pretty Ottawa-centered. And everyone had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which meant that people couldn't talk about the work they were doing. And in the fall of of 2015, just before the change of government, the Liberals had won, um, they made a decision, this committee, to include all guide and service dogs uh, in Canada in the standards, which was not their original uh, mandate. But they did this in secret. No one knew. This is what the problem was. Um, and so that went on for almost two years. And in the uh, spring of uh, 2017, <clears throat> excuse me, we um, heard rumbling something was coming down. And what happens when um, the standard board does standards, they must go for public comment. So when they came out um, as public comment, it rippled through the guide and service dog community in this country. And it just became a huge roar. Um, Many of us sent out uh, the information. I sent it to all the guide dog schools in, in North America, most people. Uh, sent copies to their guide dog schools, and we were, like, enraged that all of a sudden 
there was going to be a national standard, national standards telling us what our dogs need to do and not do. Much of those standards, by the way, uh, were right against guide dog training and service dog training. Very silly things like, for instance, if you're walking on glass, you must get off the glass <laughs> on the street. If you see a dog approaching you and you're concerned that it, it might be uh, vicious, then you have to cross the street. I mean, there was all sorts of, of things that were counterintuitive, especially for people who are blind. Yeah. But more importantly, from a safety perspective, there was one standard in there that said um, if a dog, your dog gets into a, is, is being attacked and is in a fight, you must go in between the two of them to break them up. Now, I don't know about every school in North America, but from my guide dog school, we are told to let go of the harness, let go of the leash, do not pull back, let your dog have a chance to defend itself and get out of the way. Yes. Get out of harm's way. Let your dog protect itself best it can. And so that was counter to our already existing training. Um, and if you're in a wheelchair with a service dog, how are you going to jump in between? Like there was, it, 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 there were so many things like that. <clears throat> then there was another part of the standards, was, which was setting up a certification board in Canada. And this certification board, whoever ran it, um, and there was a lot of uh, argument over who was it going to be in charge of all the guys and service dogs in Canada. Um, they would then charge back to the schools, uh, maybe upwards to two, three thousand dollars a year for every working dog they had in Canada, um, and they would uh, then come on a yearly basis, knock on your door, ask, get, ask for your financial records, ask, be able to go through your house, inspect your house, inspect your yard to determine, first, if you have the financial ability to look after a dog, second, that your, your home was safe and the surrounding area, and then they would take, oh, and also go through your veterinary records, then they would take your dog away from you, which you know is anxiety-producing for mm -hmm. and the dog, yeah. and they would then put it through a series of tests to see if, indeed, that dog could pass them. If that dog did not pass their test, that which in many cases was, we were seeing where this was going, it wouldn't have anything to do with training uh, that it already received. They then this one person would then determine if you were had a certified dog, and their plan was if you didn't have a certified dog in this country, that you could not have a bona fide service or guide dog. Mm -hmm. So when we read all this, um, everybody, I mean, I'm sure um, Twitter and Facebook lit right up. Uh, certainly the, my emails jumped. Yes. And um, as a result, uh, there was a conference call in early June, and uh, there were over 100 people, many more trying to get on that couldn't. And it was... Um, Fortunately, Tom Decker out of uh, BC um, had talked to 
GTT and uh, uh, CCB graciously hosted that conference call. And let me tell you, every single person that spoke on that conference call had the same feelings, the same analysis, the same thought that this was supposed to be looking at trainers and training standards, not at uh, standards to overlay onto every guide and service dog in the country or on uh, <coughs> or to certify them. And as it turned out, there were a couple of groups within that uh, uh, committee that really believed this was the way to go. And that's what they wanted to have done. So the uh, original in intent that was supposed to support veterans um, never happened because these standards were not uh, fleshed out, they were not well received. And so that was the beginning of the coalition. Um, and yep. so we had uh, there many founding members from both service and guide jobs. And from there, we started working on how do we now address this? Well, the first thing that came out was we were going to address it from a human rights lens because that that is where they broke uh, many tenets in human rights law. And also the idea that somehow we now needed to be managed after guide dogs have been around in North America 90 years and uh, over 60 in Canada uh, because the U.S. schools started including Canadians. Um, it really lent itself to a, a backwards thinking and it really led itself to a sense that people with disabilities somehow have to be controlled, managed by an overseer. Mm -hmm. And it went back to that charity model yeah. mm -hmm. for pathetic people. Well, I'm sorry, we're not in the 1950s or the 1850s. No. We don't have to go sleep with the pigs anymore. We can actually stand up and say no. Yeah. That's what happened collectively across the country. We did a lot of analysis. Everybody decided they were going to be writing and meeting with their MPs, um, which they did. Um, and this coalition was not an organization that is set up like all the other organizations. It was a group of people from many organizations, from many different walks of life, socioeconomic, pulled together to say, no, we've got to stop this. So what has the coalition been uh, uh, working on since then? Well, at that time we thought, well, we, we've made it. We know there'll probably be some residual stuff to rear its head. Well, we're done. And so we had a, a conference call to go through everything, and people said, look, there's a lot more attack on the guide and service dog community in this country. And we need to keep going because there's a number of things coming up. At that time, we were thinking it was called the Canadian Disability Act. We didn't know what they were going to call it. Yeah. The ACA, as we know it today, the Accessible Canada Act, was going to be hitting Parliament. People felt we needed to keep an eye on that in case it was um, going to impact us. The Canadian Transport Agency was doing work on Air Passenger Bill of Rights and also a um, accessibility 
um, regulations for um, transportation in Canada. People felt that guides and service dogs, again, were going to fall through the cracks. So there was a decision made to continue the coalition to um, work collectively together again and to continue the work of analyzing all of these things through a human rights lens and how it impacts the guide and service dog uh, users in Canada. And people felt very strongly that was a voice that needed to be heard and that we would work with all uh, cross-disability organizations uh, in Canada because one of the things that um, David Lepofsky said at the at, um, a, a HUMA, which is the, the group that meets to look at new law in Canada, it's a group of MPs assigned to a committee, when they were looking at the ACA, um, he said, you know, people in, you're dealing with people who are the minority of this country. And as, as such, we need to have a strong voice. And I've always thought about, you know, we are a minority of the country. Mm-hmm. But guide and service dog users are the minority of the minority. Yes. Every single disability group in Canada has potentially a use for a well-trained dog that does tasks to support them. So how many uh, members does the coalition have at the moment? Well, our membership is quite fluid, but we have several hundred people. Wow. And service dog users in this country that are actively, um, uh, depending on the issue, bring forward their expertise and are uh, involved with their community and have uh, do a lot of advocacy work, not just for themselves, but on behalf, are more engaged within their community. So, yes, we've got quite a few people. We also have a, a number of groups internationally that follow our work and that uh, I'm in touch with. Um, uh, and so this has become a real rallying cry around the world. And you should know that the submissions that went in around these um, service dog standards, there was an outcry worldwide. People sent letters from from around the world. Um, The blind union put in a a letter. All the guide dog schools put in letters. Uh, Schools from other uh, countries were putting in letters. Blind Canadians? Equality of Blind Canadians. I'm sorry, after a while, the name runs. Uh, <laughs> right. Canadian Council of the Blind, we have members from. We have members from Guide Dog Users of Canada. We have members that are involved in many other organizations and service organizations within their own communities. So you're not at, at odds with uh, uh, Guide Dog Users of Canada or the. Uh, International Association of Assistance Dog Partners? Oh, absolutely 
not. In fact, we are very much part of that community. We are that community. Mm -hmm. uh, the people that make up the coalition are people that are involved in all of those organizations and are active in many of the, all of those organizations we just talked about. So the conflict is not there at all. What we do is we take a very clear lane. It is the right of uh, guide and service dog users in Canada. What impacts us? We're like the canary in the in the coal mine. <laughs> we are under attack, and if we are starting, if, if government is starting to go back to that more um, charity model of having to control and manage us and do all of those things, right? We are sounding the alert because they're not just doing it for at blind people, they're doing it, it to the deaf community, they're doing it to people with mobility uh, in wheelchairs, they're doing it to the mental health community. They are attacking all of us because all of us, all of us belong to those communities. You know, many of us are, are we have veterans. We have, you know, we have a cross section of every type of disability in this country and every socioeconomic group is part of this coalition and that is why we're no threat to anyone but we certainly have the expertise in human rights uh looking at things through a human rights lens yeah and, and being really clear about that so how can people get in touch uh, and find out more about the work of the coalition well you can uh send us an email at info at who dot ca that's h-o-o-h now, when we first started, we were trying to find a name for ourselves, and um, a few, I had written and some of us had written, you know, hands off our harness. Uh -huh. Tom Decker pulled it up and said, hands off our harness, um, who, and also for service dog uh, users who don't use a harness, hands off our hounds. <laughs> so that's what who means. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the one the point I want to make about that is let's remember that when we talk about human rights, it's the user of the aid that has the rights. We are the rights holders. Our dogs are our aids, like a wheelchair, a cane, or a... Um, uh, hearing aid. A hearing aid. They are aids. They don't have rights under the charter. We do. So anything attached to us, we need to remember the focus has to be on us and our rights and our responsibilities to keep our aids under control. Like you don't want someone in the power chair running people over in a mall. Like we don't want, you know, our, our guide and service dogs barking and lunging. We have a responsibility to, uh, like any other person in a public space, mm -hmm. to be acting appropriately and not to have to pre-qualify to get in that public space. Behavior is, has always been the only measure of whether you are allowed to stay in a public space. And that's the same for us. Do you send out newsletters or something like that to keep people abreast of what you're doing? Yes. If someone wants to get on our mailing list, we can do that. Uh, we are right now writing up a um, building a website, which we can put all our password and all information of what's coming down, uh, we will be putting it on that. But in the meantime, we are 
we do have a small WordPress site at who.ca, uh, and people can see what's happening um, on that, or so, we can be sending you out emails as, okay. we, as we do monthly updates about what we're doing. So that's hoh.ca. Yes, and an email is info at who.ca. All right. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us and uh, explaining all of all of that and uh, coming on the program. Well, thank you for having me, and, and thank you very much for the work you're doing. I think bringing uh, the issues around guide and service dogs to uh, people in Canada is extremely important because we've been uh, kind of this odd group of people with magic dogs that nobody knows. <laughs> So bringing this forward is great, and thank you for your time today. If you're ever in the New York City area, you might want to check the soon-to-reopen Museum of the Dog. Museum reopening in New York City as art with both bark and bite. Collection features hundreds of sculptures, objects, art, paintings, interactive exhibits. Nancy Trejo's USA Today, the Toronto Star, January 12th. 2019, New York City is going to the dogs. The American Kennel Club Museum of the Dog will open its doors in Midtown Manhattan on February 8, just a few days before the start of the 142-year-old Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. The space, located in the Calico Building at 101 Park Avenue, will house one of the world's largest collections of canine-themed fine art. It marks the museum's return to New York after a 32-year absence. The museum had moved to West St. Louis County, Missouri, during the that time, the American Kennel Club AKC decided it was time to bring the collection back to a larger audience. New York City is home to more than 100 museums, and AKC wanted its museum to be the only one dedicated to dogs. This museum is a beautiful ode to man's best friend, and we are thrilled to bring these pieces and exhibitions to new audiences, says Alan Fossil, executive director of the museum. The museum has several hundred paintings, drawings, watercolors, prints, sculptures, bronzes, porcelain figurines, decorative arts objects and interactive displays depicting dogs throughout the ages. Famous artists such as Edwin Lancier, Maude Earl and Arthur Wardle will have their works on display. The first exhibition will be called For the Love of All Things Dog. Spanning two floors with a double-wide atrium space at the stairs, the museum has a two-story glass display case with rare porcelain and bronze figures of dogs. There is also a library where visitors can learn about their favorite breeds. The museum mixes digital elements into the exhibitions. The gallery includes interactive exhibits such as a find your match kiosk that takes a visitor's photo and determines which AKC registered dog breed he or she looks like. There is a meet the breeds touchscreen table that lets visitors explore breeds features, traits and history. For the kids, there is an app that lets them interact with Artie, a virtual dog slash tour guide. Admission costs $15 for adults, $5 for children under 5, and $10 for seniors, students, veterans and active military. Well, I certainly hope that there is at least one section in that museum where exhibits can be touched and that there is also a section that will include guide, hearing, and service dogs. That just about brings this edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs to a close. Thanks so much for listening, and I do hope that you'll be able to join me on Friday, February 15th. 
Once again, if you have any information about anything happening anywhere in the world that has to do with guide hearing and service dogs, do let me know. You can send an email to the harness, which is what a guide dog wears, the harness at bell, B-E-L-L, dot net, the harness at bell dot net. Have yourself a great month. Bye for now.